are back for yet another week of Behind the Lens. Pam's in the, she's in the, in the booth applauding, but you can't hear her because she never has the mic on in there. So we can, we never hear from Pam. I just get funny faces and, and hand signals. But this is Behind the Lens, and I am Debbie Elias, film critic, creator, and host of Behind the Lens, where we go behind the lens, below the line, with the movers and shakers, the film and TV makers, the producers, the writers, the directors, the actors, the cinematographers, the production designers, editors, costume designers, sound mixers, sound editors, film editors, you name it, we talk to them. And boy, I'm so excited about today's show, which we're going to get to in just a second. But hard to believe, here we are, the last Monday in August. Um, We're heading into the home stretch of 2021, people. All we can do is hope we get through and 2022 is better than 2020 and 2021 has been. Um, But wow, wow. You've got, and I can tell you right now, I've got a lot of films and interviews that I've done over the past 10 days. They're all embargoed right now. I can't say a word about them. But we're going to talk about two films today that I can say something about. Uh, one is is the incredible, the sci-fi thriller, The Colony, which it is it's spectacular in that it addresses themes of the human condition, morality, morals and ethics, human, the importance of the human connection, the fate of humanity. Darwinism, uh, as man faces potential extinction. Uh, A wonderful cast. It's a small ensemble cast. It's written and directed by Tim Feldbaum. Stars Nora Arnazader. And you heard me talk about Nora a few weeks ago for a film called Hereafter, which she just wowed me. And I've been watching Nora going back, oh my God, 15 years, if not more, to one of her early, to Maniac, Safe House. But she's finally getting the recognition that she so richly deserves for her performances. And The Colony, this is her film. Um, But co-starring with her in this is Ian Glenn. uh, An incredible performance by Sarah Sophie Busnina. And of course, all you General Hospital fans, get ready. You've been on all the message boards bemoaning where is jerry jacks well i've got jerry jacks right here for you today with our exclusive pre-recorded interview with sebastian roche uh sebastian co-stars in the colony he plays uh nora's character of blake who is an astronaut uh and he plays her father and it's a very he is he and and nora but particularly Sebastian, this is a role you haven't seen from him before. Um, his performance, it's beautiful, it's moving, be it with the young actress who plays the young, the young Blake or with Nora. Um, his performance is a tearjerker and the heart, the heart that he brings and that he and Nora exhibit as father and daughter. And he has no name in the film other than Papa. 
Um, now, if that doesn't make your heart go, oh, and I know all the General Hospital fans are going, Jerry Jacks? Is Papa a softie? You better believe it. Um, that that heart is the essence of the themes in the film. Uh, I truly was blown away by the sterility of the film, the simplicity of the film, that writer-director uh, Tim Felbaum, uh, he just, he lets the performances come through. Everything was practically done in the film. Um, it's out right now, so you can see it on all platforms, in theaters, VOD, digitally. Um, it is so striking. It's wet, because Earth is Earth was decimated a couple generations ago. Are we surprised? Um, and now they're, they're returning. Blake is an astronaut who is returning to the Earth to see if it is habitable again because the planet, the Kepler planet that the human race escaped to, um, the radiation was so strong that procreation had stopped. And if you can't procreate, there goes the human race. Uh, so that is the crux of what the colony is about. Uh, then, at the midpoint of our show, Jay Silverman is back with us. Director Jay Silverman. He was here a couple years ago talking about Off the Menu. He's back now to talk about his new film, Saving Paradise. It is Americana. Today's theme is really, it is about the heart of Americana, the heart of humanity with these two films, with The Colony and with Saving Paradise. Saving Paradise, a small, a small rural town and a pencil factory. And no, it is not The Odd Life of Timothy Green. I know what some of you Disney aficionados are thinking. No, it is not. Other than The Pencil Factory and trying to save it, that's where the similarity ends. Uh, between Saving Paradise and Odd Life of Timothy Green. But it is a beautiful, beautiful film uh, that boasts an amazing cast. William Mosley, who you know best, is playing Peter in the Chronicles of Narnia series. Uh, Joanna Brady, George Steves, and then Ev, I mean, the greatest character actors that we have of the 20th century, 21st century. Mary Pat Gleason, Bill Cobbs, Paul Dooley, Lawrence Pressman, James Eckhouse, Mimi Kennedy. This is a wow cast. And we're going to get into it with Jay live at the midpoint of the show. But right now, without any further ado, let's look into the future with the colony and. Sebastian Roche. Thank you. Hi, Sebastian. Hello, how are you? Well, I am delighted to be speaking with you about the colony. Thank you. Um, I have Thank been you so much. I have been such an admirer of your work forever. And uh, yeah. Oh, thank you. That's very kind of you. And, you know, of course, we, we must get the elephant in, in the universe out of the room here for all of the General Hospital fan, fans out there. Will Jerry Jacks ever come back to poor Charles? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. You never know. You know, you never know with, uh, with that. Oh, I get but Not for the moment because I have a lot of um, engagement. You so, sure uh, do. It's been a very busy year, but um, 
You never know. Well, and, and I can tell you that your name has been lighting up all of the general hospital fan boards on social media. Uh, wanting the return, sure, yeah. wanting the return of a villain like Jerry, as opposed to the most recent ones, and I found that really interesting. And I think it's because you always play every character, be it a good character, a bad character, be it Reich Minister Houseman in Man in the High Castle. You always play. It's never yeah. totally one or the other. You always add an element of yeah. good or an element of bad. And I think that is your really yes. great appeal. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. Yes, I try and, uh, for me, you know, a character is a character, so I try and approach uh, the role in a sort of more than one-dimensional way. So I try to be, you know, to bring in a sort of more multi-dimensional uh, character with a past, with, uh, you know, what, what that entails. You know, it always entails tribulations, uh, pain, happiness, but, but different life experiences. So you bring that to your character. I also believe in bringing, you know, a little humor, I'm not mm -hmm. try, you know, not trying to do comedy, but also bringing a little uh, levity sometimes to certain characters. You know, it, it, it's important to, to not be just a one-dimensional uh, uh, character. That's very, very important. Well, and, and I think you mentioned some levity, and I think we, we saw that in Beverly Hills Chihuahua 3 and from you. And even playing King Stefan in Once Upon a Time, there's a little bit of lightness there. Um, but yeah, 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 yeah. But here with the colony, Sebastian, as I tweeted to you the other day, this is, this is one of the most beautiful and most moving performances I have ever seen from oh, you. thank you. The way you interact with Chloe as young Blake and Nora, who I spoke with, and Nora adores you. She loved playing adult Blake and being yeah. your daughter. Uh, yes, I know. We had a we had an instant connection. Actually, it was really wonderful. She she she's so giving. She's such a good actress. You know, she's really and she's a hard worker. We worked incredibly well even though we worked for a few days just a couple of days together you know we instantly had an amazing amazing connection and it, it makes it makes our job so much easier so yeah it was like you know I, I think yeah I think the world of her she's so talented and so giving and we managed to get somewhere emotionally that was that was truly profound I, I really I have amazing memories of that shoot really i really really do well, and it's also due to the fact that the director let us go there you know he was so open and receptive to what we had we proposed and uh yeah and you know speaking both uh, as french speakers we also added a little french in there to sort mm -hmm. of make the connection even 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 um even stronger so yeah she, she's i think the world of her too you know she's She's a wonderful, wonderful young woman. She's doing really, really well now. So I'm really happy for her. Oh, she truly is. Um, I've been watching yeah. watching Nora for a long time. Um, so I'm thrilled to see everything that she's doing now. But and it's something that you do yeah, so yeah. so beautifully in the colony is the way that you interact with Chloe Heinrich, who plays young Blake. 
the connection you established with her, yeah. you and Nora really solidify that. There is not a moment that I did not believe that when we see this older man and we see Nora walk in, there's not a moment you don't believe the love between a father and a daughter. And that reunion scene oh. when he turns and realizes it's her, she realizes it's him, I was crying. I had to pull out the tissues, Sebastian. Oh. Um, oh, thank you. Well, I'm, I'm glad you're saying that because that's really what we wanted to, to, to convey, you know. Um, it's such an emotional moment. Can you imagine, you know, literally leaving a planet and, and that, you know, pretty much knowing that you'll never see anyone that you knew before and suddenly the person that's the closest to you that you love the most in the world is there. And so that made for a, for a really, really incredibly deep moment yeah, between us. And, and, and I really, and Chloe, uh, the young actress, was so wonderful through the beginning. And we also wanted to have this, this great connection. She was a wonderful young actress. And the same, same with Tim, you know, the director. Mm -hmm. He really was so open and patient and, you know, really wanted to, 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 to um, wanted us to, you know, come up with our own uh, uh, relationship. And uh, I'm really glad that it shows, you know, and... and, and because um, actually, I haven't yet seen the film. Oh. I am going to see it. Uh, uh, I've, I've seen bits of it, but I haven't yet seen the film. And I, you know, I, I, I loved every second of working on the film. Uh, you know, with a, such an amazing team of people who were so passionate about the project. That's what really, it's rare to be on a shoot where the director, the director of photography, production design, the costumes are so in tune with what you're doing. And Tim was so patient. He really took his time with us. And I, I think that's why it gives this, this, I don't know, I think this, this, this real deep connection with, with the public, you know, mm -hmm. because it, it shows, yeah. Well, the heart that we see between Papa and Blake be it young Blake, but particularly yeah. with adult Blake, that heart is the essence yeah. of this film. That is the theme. It's why would you even go to another planet? Why would you not? Why would you want to worry about um, extinction were it not for love and a connection like this? And I got news for every father and daughter out yeah. there who sees this film is it is going to touch them so deeply and reel them in yeah, I, so that you yeah. can explore the morals and the ethics that come out in this story. Oh, I'm glad. I'm so glad that you, yeah, I'm really glad that you you saw that. Yes, I remember actually you, you tweeted me, right? Uh, yeah. On Twitter, right? I remember. Yes, yes, I remember. Yeah, thank you so much. I'm so glad that it, it's coming out like this. And I remember Tim um, telling me that they were doing tests uh, screenings and that they really uh, apparently that my relationship with with my daughter is the thing that a lot of people um, really loved in in the film. So I think uh, mission accomplished. You know, <laughs> it's why save and, uh, why save know. humanity, but for a relationship and a love like that. Yes. 
That's that's the whole crux of it. I'm curious, Sebastian, because this is a very sparse film in terms of production design. It's very nuanced. The color palette is pulled back. It doesn't have the vibrancy or even the majesty of something like Big Sky or Six Underground. Um, but But it really lets the performances shine and allow for that connection between the audience and the characters. Is that something that aids in your performance when you're working on a set like this where it's unfettered and it really comes down to your performance? Yes, I think that, you know, so much, uh, you know, it, it, it's, it's on purpose that, you know, this, this color palette, like the, the incredible uh, director of photography, Marcus Bordera, they really work in tandem to create this look, this sort of end of world look and sparsity. And, but, you know, what I really, you know, once again appreciated was the incredible generosity from the director, you know, and the writers, um, towards the actors, and I think that's why uh, Tim got such incredible performances out of Nora, Ian, and um, uh, Sarah Sophie Bustina, all the all the actors that were on set. He took such care and such patience and such openness um, with us that it, it, it you know when when you have someone encouraging you that much uh, in 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 what you're proposing. You can only do good work, and uh, and also the atmosphere on set was incredibly calm and professional. And what I really loved about uh, Tim is his passion, his complete and utter passion, his real dedication to the project. And that's something that sometimes you you don't see as much, you know. And sometimes you don't have a director that takes so much time with you and discusses the character. And so he, he, and and. In my view, you can only make a performance better. So I, I give him a huge amount of credit. And I think, you know, also casting, it, I think it was brilliant to cast Nora and the other actors that were, you know, mm-hmm. and myself, what can I say? Of course. <laughs> it, 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 I, I connected, you know, I remember connecting with, with um, the material instantly. I had an instant connection with the material. I knew, I actually put, put myself on tape, but... I had this feeling inside that I would get the role. I knew that what I put on tape was going to get me the job because of the connection that I had with the text. So, you know, it was meant to be. You know, some things are meant to be, and this this project was meant to be. And um, even though it's a character that comes back in flashbacks and is not all through the film, it is a wonderfully important and humane and beautiful character. I really, really loved uh, the empathy and uh, the love that this, this character had for his daughter. So, yeah, you know, it's and, a rich experience for and me. This is something we don't typically get to see from you. We don't really ever get to see this softer side. And, of course... Yes. You know, with the we're, with the adult Blake, and then you're pl- and you're playing opposite Ian Glenn's Gibson, and the battle, yeah, the battle about the fate of humanity, yeah. and that's where morals re- really come into play, and to yes. see you yeah. turn and change 
from who you were as a younger man and now see the bigger picture yeah. Yeah. and change your perspective um, calmly, rationally, and, and with heart and mind in sync. It is fabulous to see that from you. It's something we don't see enough of from you with your roles. I know. <laughs> I know. Well, you know, I, I still have tons of time. You know, uh, so you know, I think in the next, in the future, you will see uh, yeah, a little more. Oh. Maybe a little more of that, as, you know, as I get as I get more mature and older and, and can explore these kind of roles. You know, they, they're always interesting. To me, I always relish character roles because mm -hmm. they, they offer richer, a richer approach to acting for me. You know, I, I, I was having a conversation with, with a, a wonderful actor who I was just working with um, on a project I can't talk about right now but it, it's an amazing project um, and I was talking to him I was saying you know every time you know some people want me to be a leading man but intrinsically I'm a character actor and I relish being a character actor I think that they're far richer and, and more interesting than, than most uh, leading characters not all of course I'm not a generalist mm -hmm. so I I embrace these roles you know with two hands and, and, and try and try and go into the history of, of, of what makes them who they are, you know, and, and it's a fascinating endeavor, you know. Yeah, what? I love every minute of it, and, you know, that's what I try to do with, with uh, Blake's father, yeah. What do you look for? Is there something specific you look for in a script when it comes across your desk? Is it the character? Is it the story? Is it the director attached? Um, is there something in particular? It, it, it really it, yeah, it really depends. I mean, you know, um, first and foremost, you know, as, as one of the great drama teachers told me, you know, it's the text, the text, <laughs> and the text, <laughs> the author. So, you know, um, what I do is when I prepare a role, you know, I see if the role fits me, and usually, you know, what I get offered is, is, is are things that are fairly close to me, or things that I'm fairly uh, at ease with. But I always try and find um, a sort of different layer for the character to bring in something a little more surprising. So I will read the text over and over. And, you know, as my old teacher told me, you know, eventually the text will whisper its secrets to you. You know, and it's true. If you read a text over and over, suddenly you discover things that you hadn't seen on the first read, and it really informs the character that you're going to play. And then, of course, you, you know, whether the character is from South Africa or from Germany, you then work on that, and that also informs the character. So I love creating a sort of uh, outward character that suddenly. And because of, uh, when I'm talking about outward, I'm talking about, you know, accents or age or who he is uh, uh, in the context of the movie, you know, in terms of what he does. And then you can, then the sort of inner life of the character, you know, uh, it sort of impregnates you. You know, it, it's, it's really interesting what happens. You, you start seeing the truth. So for me, it's also about attaining the truth in that character. Mm-hmm. So it's a it's a fascinating 
it's such a fascinating endeavor as an actor to, to, to work on a role, you know. You, at first, you, you, you don't get it, you, the, the accent feels fake, or what you're doing feels fake, and then suddenly you get in the truth, and you get into these moments of grace when you're shooting, you know, and, and it's a, yeah, it's, it's always fascinating, and that, you know, what I've done this year, I've, I've been able to, to, to go from being English to being from, a, like, Sherry from Montana <laughs> to, uh, you know, a billionaire to, to then doing, uh, yes, I had, I did a movie where I played a Republican candidate for the governorship of Georgia, getting into that kind of role. And then I did a, played a South African. Then I played another guy. And then I I just played a German, you know, a German, a, a sort of very interesting German character. So you know, all these characters are thrown at me, and it's an absolute delight to try and and and. and peel the onion and see what's under the characters and and express them on on celluloid actually not celluloid anymore it's digital now but um yeah it's a fascinating end and the same you know for the colony this character sort of fit me like a glove instantly and and had such great pleasure uh, doing it preparing for it and then when i met uh nora we exchanged we had such a great exchange and yeah, great, great, great uh, experience on that film. I, I really recommend any, you know, anyone to go see it. Oh, this is this is truly one of my picks of the year. I can tell you that with all my heart, Sebastian. Oh, thank you. It is. It's one of those rare gems that comes along so infrequently, and it really makes you sit up oh, and wonderful. think while touching your heart at the same time, and that's a rare combination. Yeah, exactly. You know, I have. I have. It to, is. It makes you think about, well, sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, I, I was just going to say, you know, you're one of those rare actors that you have successfully navigated this industry for 35 years and counting, be it on the small screen, on the big screen, with one-offs, with, um, you know, series regular or recurring characters. Yeah. You know, it. you just keep going and going. You're better than the Energizer Bunny. Um, so, but I'm curious, what is the gift? What is the gift that acting gives I, you that I, keeps you going? I think, I think that it has to do, I was, you know, I remember someone quoting something about the endurance of an actor, and I think it's, sometimes you can get, stale, you know, doing the same thing over and over again. I've been blessed with discovering, you know, I've been blessed with struggling and then discovering new roles over and over, which sort of uh, keeps your instrument uh, very sharp. And I think that, you know, people are realizing that I can do a lot, that I have a huge amount of range and I, that I can bring it. I'm, I'm not trying to be, you know, to, to go, oh, look at me. But, you know, without, I know I'm not being very humble about that, but I'm really in control of my instruments at the moment. And the experience that I have acquired over these years has enabled me to to be, you know, this, um, this actor in full, in full, uh, in full control of, of, of my, my craft, I think. And that's what keeps you working. 
Um, you know, you can be a major star at 20 and forgotten, you know, at, at 25. For me, it's about the work, you know, it's about the passion of the work. And I think, you know, a lot of my contemporaries who keep on working are as passionate as I am and work as hard as I do. And I work very hard at doing it. And I, I it seems that, you know, people who are hiring me are seeing the work and, and giving me the opportunity to, to, you know, better their project with my work. And, and uh, I feel very uh, honored <laughs> to be invited, you know, on on their adventures, on their artistic adventures, and uh, I really feel that you know the experience that I've I, I've accrued has has helped me continue, you know, carrying on as an actor. Yeah, I really do, yeah. and uh, and I've bettered, you know, as a result, I have bettered, uh, I've bettered myself in my craft. Yeah. So yeah, I'm I'm getting better. I'm still learning, and I'll continue learning and keep on getting better. I hope. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's going to be tough because I think you're you're really at the top of your game right now. Thus far. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, one last Thank question you. before I let you go, Sebastian, is with all the roles that you yep. have done, all the genres you have done. Is there a dream role out there that you still would love to tackle? I mean, there are dream uh, uh, directors that I would like to work with. You know, there are the the Cohen brothers that have always been. You know, I one day will work for the Cohen brothers uh, because for me, they are the, some of the finest American filmmakers, worldwide filmmakers uh, um, that that have ever lived. And you know, working with someone like Martin Scorsese would be a dream as well. So these are the dreams that you set yourself. I would like to do more, you know, um, theater, you know, probably, you know, uh, which would be really uh, something that, that would be incredibly beneficial for me as an actor. And continue, you know, for me, the, the dream role is the next role that I do. You know, I, I get such pleasure with being on set that it pretty much is that. It's the, <laughs> it is the dream role. You know, I want to continue aging in the roles that I do and uh, and doing it in the best possible way. That's, that's the dream for me, really. Mm. Well, my dream is just to keep seeing you in more and more roles, Sebastian. You have never disappointed me <laughs> Thank you. with a performance. And, thank you so much. And this oh, one in the colony, it just touches my heart so deeply. And I can't wait to see thank what's you. next. I really can't. Thank you. Yeah, oh, yes, there's a lot coming up, so uh, hopefully you'll, you'll see it. And hopefully, hopefully we'll get to chat <laughs> again, so and hopefully we'll chat in the future. Yes, I'm sure we will. Oh. I'm sure we will. Sebastian, thank you so much, and I hope you have a wonderful weekend. Thank you. You too. Thank you so much. That was a really wonderful, uh, wonderful uh, conversation. Oh. Thank you, Debbie. Take care. Thanks, Sebastian. Bye-bye. And that was Sebastian Roche talking about The Colony, his thoughts on acting, and maybe a hint that General Hospital will see Jerry Jacks in the future. Um, but as he said, he his calendar is so booked right now, it may be a while 
before that happens. All right, we're going to switch gears, and we're coming back to Earth now, present day. And as I'm knocking things over here on set, I am so tickled to welcome back to Behind the Lens, Jay Silverman. I can barely see you, but <laughs> I'm going to just go for the voice. <laughs> I mean, How? can you hear me okay, or should I pick up the phone? Um, I can hear you. Can you hear me? Well, I was talking more to, yeah, I hear you fine. I was talking more to your engineer. I, I just heard his voice. Is this a satisfactory connection? Or yeah, no. Like you sound great on our end. How's it sound? Okay, pa perfect. And Pam's nodding her head. Yes, yes, it sounds fine. Uh, coming through loud and clear. Great. Well, you have you have another little gem, Jay, uh, with Saving Paradise. Oh my gosh! Thank you so much. Did you did you get a chance to watch it? I sure did. Um. I, number one, the minute I'm seeing all of these veteran character actors pop up, you know, Mary Pat Gleason, her final role, um, Bill Cobbs, Paul Dooley, Lawrence Pressman, James Eckhouse, Mimi Kennedy, and I'm going, oh my God, I could watch all of those people. I've watched them their entire career. You have them all in one film and they bring such depth and texture to this story. Then you have somebody like William Mosley that we all have watched over the years, a much younger William, in particular as Peter in, Chron in the Chronicles of Narnia trilogy. And, you know, you give us Joanna Brady. I mean, it's like at every turn, this is an embarrassment of riches telling a very rich story, Jay. Um, this Thank is, you so much. This is so grounded in Americana and the heart of Americana. Um, the story is, it's very simple. Van Billet uh, wrote the script and, uh, you know, we've got poor Michael. His father owns the, the local Peterson Pencil, uh, Pencil Company in, uh, you know, in Penciltown. Right. And... <laughs> Dad dies. Okay. You're you're a, a big hotshot financier on in Wall on Wall Street. You got to come home and sort through and figure out what you're going to do with Dad's company and you come home to a mess and he's torn as so many so many of the of the younger generation have been in their lifetime leave, move on, but then something happens at home. The town isn't doing well. Work isn't going well. Where is your heart? Where is your loyalty? And this is something that Michael faces. And at the same time, he gets to appreciate the, re the responsibility of this entire town was really supported by Peterson Pencil Company. And something I truly love about this film is... You shot this at the Musgrave Pencil Company in, yeah. in Shelbyville, Tennessee. Sad commentary. Sad, sad commentary. In the 1950s, there were 23 pencil factories in the United States. Now there are only three. Um, that just breaks my heart. 
Because I don't care if, if you want computers in every classroom and every elementary school around around the globe. Give me give me a good number two pencil. And it works really good as a deadly weapon, too. Nobody talks about that. It's very good if it's sharpened right. Um, <laughs> I have lead still in my, in my hands <laughs> from 60 years ago. Um, but this story is, this is the heart of what America is. Talk to me, Jay, about how you, Vin's script came to you, how Van's script came to you, and what made you say, I have to make this film? You know, it's, Debbie, it's interesting, you know, when you, when you, I'm lucky enough to have somebody by the name of uh, Bethany Serona who um, scours the, the tools that are available for filmmakers to learn about properties that are available. She found uh, the movie, which at this time the screenplay was called Pencil Town, and it was uh, on the blacklist. Mm-hmm. And subsequently, with um, her uh, interest, I mean, she must look at 20, 30 scripts uh, a month. Uh, this one stood out. We, we called up uh, Van, and Van was uh, nice enough to get on the phone with us. And what was just super exciting for me is this story, this, in my opinion, this, you know, uh, American story, uh, especially during the last four or five years yeah. when the country is so divided, we just felt that what an incredible story to tell about uh, what's going on in, you know, the, Mer- the American census, you know, which is kind of understanding why we're who we are. Yeah. And it just excited us so much that Van came right out on a plane and we sat down and talked to him. And then uh, that developed a relationship that Van uh, stuck with the movie all the way through the end. Wow. I mean, one of the great things about this story and, you know, knowing, you know, what what brought off the menu to you and, you know, what you what you did with that film, it doesn't surprise me that this script would speak to you and you want would want to tell this story because this is it is. It is the heart of America. This. These are the hardworking, lower lower middle class bracket of people on, that help build this country, and that are now kind of lost between the far right and the far left. And the fact the film is opening this week uh, with Labor Day weekend. What better time for a film that looks at the American worker, their sacrifices, their dedication, and their passion and their belief. And you bring all of that into play here. Um, it, it just, you just blew me away and really touched my heart with this film, Jay. Well, thank you so much. You know, I mean, we have to share this with you. We had a screening for the very first time in Los Angeles on Saturday night, and, uh, you know, it is a, a labor of love. You know, we spent uh, three years, a uh, year and a half of the three years, waiting after it was finished for the for COVID to, 
to kind of turn into a point where people actually started going back to the movies. And uh, the movie comes out September 3rd, which is this coming Friday. Um, it is super, super important to us as we feel that the story applies to everybody. It doesn't just apply to to uh, people on one political side or the other. Mm-hmm. It applies to why we are who we are. Mm-hmm. Well, something that you really bring forth, um, we're basically... We're, we have two points of view that come out strong in this film. We have Michael's point of view, um, and then we have Charlie, uh, who's played by Joanna Brady, and they each essentially want the same thing, but there's two different points of view and perspectives of how they're going to get it. On the one hand, you have Michael who wants to just, okay, company's in debt, it's got to go. Going to go to the highest bidder, pay off the bank loans. My mom keeps her house. Bye-bye. Uh, I'm going back to the city. Then you've got Charlie, who is devoted her whole life, um, who went and she got her degrees, and she lived uh, the life of a financier, but then came back to her home, to her roots. And she has a personal connection. So it's head versus heart with Michael and Charlie in this film. And then it falls on all of these character actors who are employees of the company and where everything really takes shape, the real bridge and, and cohesiveness comes through George Steve's performance as Walter. I fell in love with that character, Jay. Um, you know, I'm so um, thrilled to share with you that, that George Steve's, who plays Walter, is an individual that actually comes from a casting company in Los Angeles that specializes in um, talent that actually have disabilities. And uh, George uh, is on the spectrum itself and subsequently uh, delivered what I consider to be, you know, a not only a magnificent, believable performance, but you know, the kind of performance that only somebody with the condition could deliver mm-hmm. versus me waking up in the morning and casting somebody to play a disabled person or an individual that's on the spectrum. I just felt incredibly responsible for telling it truthfully. I am so in love with the character of Walter and George's performance, the honesty, the purity that everything is fact, and he loves daily. Walter comes and he recites facts while he delivers the mail. And he helps Michael find his heart. And he and Michael helps him step out of his, his comfort zone and find his voice that isn't just facts um, out of the encyclopedia. And it's so beautiful watching that. But that's real. Walter is the heart of this film that bridges Michael and Charlie in their philosophies. And we get that we allow us to see unfold. And it's just exquisite watching him. Absolutely incredible. Um, You know, I have to I have to compliment writer uh, Van Billet for. I think his. um, desire to want to authenticate a character 
that was a very good friend of his family member and 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 I think he was inspired by his friend's uh, child to um, to create an authentic character in this movie and not only did I think it was uh, in, incredibly deep uh, in respect to what you described but um, it actually had a little bit of wit and, and humor mm -hmm. that, that to me was very welcome as a filmmaker. Yeah, and the camera loves George. The camera loves him. Um, he lights up. He His smile just lights up the screen when your cinematographer, when Bruce Allen Green, whenever he captures him. Um, he has a thousand-watt smile, and it's beautiful to see, as is Bruce's cinematography here. I've got to ask you, Jay, how challenging was this to shoot this in the pencil factory? Well, it's interesting you say that because I'm sure a lot of your listeners have an interest in um, how things are accomplished. Mm -hmm. uh, I spent probably a total of six hours at Musgrave Factory, and within that six hours, we were able to, and I, I know this sounds crazy, but it's pretty um, magnificent. Uh, we were able to capture almost the entire opening of the movie on an iPhone. Wow. Um, wh why did we do that? We really didn't have a choice. Wow. There, there, it would have been impossible to stick, you know, a, a Panavision camera in 50 different locations within three hours even if you're using available light. Mm -hmm. um, just for your edification, we actually shot um, for four hours one day at the factory with real factory employers uh, and focused on only one side of the camera. So when you see the movie, you'll notice that there's two sides of every scene, and the other side was all shot in Los Angeles. At another factory. Oh my gosh! Yeah, and that's—I'm not telling you that to impress you. I'm telling you that because that's how we did it. That's I how. Because I, I got to tell you, Jay, the whole time I'm watching, and it's like, oh my god, what did they do? Shut down the pencil factory? Uh, because yeah. there's so much machinery in there. It's—it's it's mind boggling that. All right, how can they even get cameras in here unless they're shooting with tiny black magics? Um, or little shoulder rigs, you can't fit anything in here. Uh, so it's interesting to hear that this is how you did it. Yeah. I mean, it was fun because this is how you make an independent movie in 17 days. <laughs> and not only did you make an independent movie in 17 days, and not only did you shoot half of it in a pencil factory, but you also set it in the fall so that we're working up to Christmas. So you bring in Christmas lights, and who doesn't love films that have Christmas theme running through them where you're hoping for a Christmas miracle? Um, I mean, that's like the, the visual icing on the cake with this film. Thank you. Uh, I, I'll, I'll share this with you. You know, it is um, always an interesting question when you do podcasts about how they make movies. Uh, especially independent films, but 
we were going to shoot the whole movie in Tennessee, and what ended up happening is it was we we sharpened our pencil, no pun intended, <laughs> and we de- we determined at least I determined with my producers that we'd have a better movie and a better cast if we shot it in L.A. because mm-hmm. all these talent are available. It's a gold mine here. Yeah. Uh, and when you think about moving all those talent and shooting in Tennessee, even if there's a financial incentive, which there was, it still would not offset the idea of trying to logistically move an entire cast from L.A. to Tennessee. It almost is just a scratch. So we ended up having the benefit of shooting in L.A. with all these great actors that you mentioned at the beginning of this interview. And I really genuinely believe none of that would have transpired if we shot it at in Tennessee or in Pennsylvania. No, absolutely not. Uh, Because every one of these actors, they're all working actors, but they're also senior. They're in the upper upper end of the ARP category. Um, So it logistically becomes more difficult for them to travel quite often. Uh, And you want to make your talent comfortable. And when you have an ensemble that is this, this is a substantial ensemble, Jay. Um, You know, you want comfort for them. You don't want them traveling unnecessarily. Uh, You know, you're shooting in the fall, you're shooting in the winter. When you're elderly, you're more prone to getting sick. All of that stuff that has become the foremost in people's minds during a pandemic now. You know, this was something you're thinking about before then. Uh, right. So right. you really did luck out with shooting, making that decision to shoot uh, a good portion of the film here in L.A. Now, this begs the question, how did you get this cast? This is, uh, this is a dream character actor cast. Well... I, I give most of the credit to our casting agent, and I would say to you, um, and I'm saying this to you, you know, totally um, passionately, Beth Holmes casting, um, it's, it's all about credibility and belief that you've got a good project. And if you wake up in the morning and somebody says to you, you know, I'd like to cast... Uh, Paul Dooley in my movie, I'm going to just share this with you. When we met George, the the individual on the spectrum, and we wanted to cast him, he said, hey, uh, do you think you might want to bring in my friend Paul Dooley? Oh, my gosh. I said, no way. And it turns out that the writer and myself are huge fans of Paul, and next thing you know, Paul said, of course I'll do the movie. And that's an L.A. story, okay, or a Hollywood oh story. Oh, my gosh. And, and incidentally, I'm, I, and I'm sure every interview you do, you know, these are questions that every firing filmmaker wants to uh, share, and that is, you know, how did you get that cast? And in our case, you know, it's, it's, it's a real wonderful, uh, exciting thing say that, you know, these are the best in the business. You know, the 
supporting cast that we got. And it's all about the project and the script. And people read the script and they got super excited about it and they all wanted to be a part of it. And uh, and I'll share uh, with you Mary Pat, who passed away, as you mentioned at the beginning of this interview, um, she knew that she was dying and she told me at the beginning of the movie that uh, she's going to fight it, but it doesn't matter. She wants to do this movie. <laughs> and wow. when I share that with your audience now, I got to tell you, you know, it all comes back down to this idea of why we're in the business to begin with. We're all storytellers, and and I, if I was her, I'd want to go out doing what I love. You're darn right. And, I mean, Mary Pat has given us so much joy over the decades from her one-offs, you know, Troop Beverly Hills, uh, Murder, She Wrote, Soap, the movie Soap Dish, Bones. Um, she's recently been on the, the TV series Mom. I mean, you can't, anymore late night, you can't turn on, like, uh, Cozy TV or Me TV or TV Land, and you don't see her pop up. Um, now, I didn't know that she had done over 200 movies. Oh, yeah. she She is prolific a prolific character actor and i have always always loved seeing her on screen and for this to be her final performance jay wow wow well i i was inspired as the writer knows with uh, norma ray and it's a wonderful life mm-hmm. and the first person <laughs> All you got to do is look at her face and go, she is Mary. Yeah. <laughs> and coincidentally, the character's name was Mary. So. Well, and then, and then you bring in someone like Bill, Bill Cobbs. Bill Cobbs is, he is a legend. Uh, a lot of the Hallmark fans out there will know him from the Ultimate Gift, the Ultimate Life series uh, that had James Garner in two episodes but Bill was there with Lee Merriweather for all three. Uh, he moved. He did. Uh, he was the the tinker in Oz, the Great and Powerful, the Master Tinker. He was Del Paxton in that thing you do. He goes all the way back, you know, forty some years doing designing women and one offs on on TV. But he always picks these characters that mean so much, that are legendary, like Del Paxton in that thing you do. Del Paxton, you know. He played this incredible, legendary jazz drummer or jazz musician. And, you know, obviously the master tinker in Oz, a very important part of the Bomb books. And the ultimate series, the ultimate gift, the ultimate life, that it is just, it has a lot of the same tenets and morals and ethics and heart that we see here in this film. So you bring in people like that. Uh, you have the best of the best here, Jay. It, Thank it, you. It's incredible. Thank you so much. Um, you know, even guys like James Eckhouse. Everybody knows him. Beverly Hills, Beverly Hills 90210 is Jim Walsh. Or Marvel fans know him from the Avengers, <laughs> Senator Boynton. Um, you're covering every demographic with your casting here. I hope you know that. Thank you, thank you. I mean, we were just blessed. And I, and I have to tell you something, as a filmmaker, and I'm saying this only because I think, you know, 
none of those actors um, were interested in anything other than doing something that they believed mm -hmm. in. And from a director's standpoint, you know, um, virtually all of them not only did what I asked, but gave me more. And it is exciting to be able to, in, in the case of uh, the gentleman you were just talking about, you know, he asked the writer if he would adjust uh, a portion of his lines to accommodate something personal to him. And I'm talking about Mr. Cobbs. Mm -hmm. And I have to say that just like myself, he's interested in in his legacy being positive yeah. and uh, appropriate, you know, purposeful. Mm -hmm. Very much so. He, he really, really passionately doesn't need to work anymore, <laughs> and he's working. He, he was, I think he did All Night at the Museum and all those mm -hmm. other movies. Um, and, I, and I can tell you, you know, he's a legend. You're right. Same with uh, uh, Paul Dooley. You're sitting there talking to him, and here's a guy, you know, that has been around way, way back. My parents were going to the movies, you know. So to work with somebody that's 92 years old and sitting – Old court with him was super exciting, super exciting. Now, what led you to William Mosley in the role of Michael? Yeah, it's an interesting story. Was... We had another actor attached, and um, the last minute he got a major, <laughs> believe it or not, I, I believe the movie was uh, um, um, one of those tent poles mm -hmm. for uh, action movies, and the agent said to us that, um, have you thought about this guy? And, and we, he's, you know, he's in England, and I'm going, ah, we can't afford to bring him out. And one thing led to another. We had a, a, um, a Skype call with him, and we just fell in love with him. He's just a really, really, um, really smart and talented guy, and uh, we lucked out. So. And his past, in the Narnia films, you know the whole idea within the themes within those films. This is a, this w this fits William perfectly as an actor, following yeah. on those themes, just like the the rest of your cast. You know how because you were shooting, you shot Pencil Factory, you shot L.A. How challenging was the editing process on this one, Jay? You know it's it's you asked that question. Uh, the 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 editor. Name was Harper. Is that correct? What was it? Hang on one second. The editor's name was uh, Morgan Halsey. Now, I, I'm going to sound like a nincompoop here, but she comes from a family of editors. Okay, her mother's an editor. Her father's an editor. Oscar-winning editors. I believe her father edited the the first yeah the first Rocky film and won an Oscar. So he'd come into the editing bay every day and, uh, and compliment his daughter and chat with us about all of his life stories. And I have to say we were very, very – I'm so happy you asked that question because it was one of the best parts of finishing the film is working with that family and going to edit every day. Wow. And, and taking a break at lunch and hearing stories about all the icons from uh, multiple, multiple generations, and even 
you know, her mother's still cutting films right now, and uh, big films, you know, for Netflix and so forth. And um, we were very lucky. And and I'll be um, even more specific when I reflect on job in this movie because it was a tough job. I mean, mm-hmm. movies aren't cut. Um, uh, I don't care how great you are and how you got a great super script supervisor, but you know, movies require. Um, an editor that's disciplined enough to be able to step back and not be really influenced by anybody except for the story. Mm-hmm. And his his daughter did a magnificent job, so we're very proud of it. Well, and, you know, having to find the emotional beats in this film, uh, because you have the distinction between Michael's emotional beats, Charlie's emotional beats, and really Walter's emotional beats with the others falling secondary to those three main ones uh, as being our two points of view and our cohesiveness and our go-between between heart and mind. Um, so that had to have been challenging to find that pacing and to hit those marks. You know, you know I want to I wanna comment about that because I think it, as a filmmaker I can say to you at the screening we just had this weekend, many people, including James Eckhart and um, um, a number of supporting cast members came up to me and they were just astonished by um, how it all cut together because even when you're doing an independent movie, I hate to oversimplify this, but I heard an interview last night with William Mosley uh, in Europe. He did a, a podcast. And he talks about, you know, having seven pages to do uh, in the morning. And, you know, you you know that all he's focusing on is retaining his lines mm-hmm. and, and doing his job. And I hate to oversimplify this, but when talking to James Eckhart, he didn't um, what was going to be, um, you know, correlated as being uh, the following scenes. You know, James... James Eckhouse is probably one of the most talented people I've ever worked with, and he truly, truly um, was taken by the fact that, you know, the, the idea molded together in such, um, you know, kind of a simple storytelling way. Mm-hmm. And he hates playing villains now. He wants to be a nice guy. <laughs> <laughs> Well, and of course, I was so pleased to see that you reteamed with your off-the-menu composer, Dave Holden, for your score for Saving Paradise. You know. Yeah, I'm so happy you mentioned Dave. Dave is a, a protege of, and I'm, a, I'm, I, I'm not going to mention the name, but he's a protege of, you know, uh, some of one of the best composers in the world, and. To have the luxury of working with someone with his skill set and on top of it record the entire score, I believe, in Budapest um, live with orchestra, it's just impossible for a filmmaker to even contemplate mm-hmm. uh, for the money that we had. And the reason and the way that, that Dave is able to do that is because I work a deal out so he can uh, sell the the music independently uh, three years after the release. Oh so wow! He he has um, a back end deal is really what I would describe it, 
And he gives me, and he gives the movie, and he gives the breath of himself in such a way that, I mean, how can I go to somebody else, you know? It was just, it's a magnificent example. And I told him this after the screening we had on Saturday. I said, you know, it's one thing to have a great script. It's another thing to tell a great story. But to have an editor come in there and create this kind of incredible score Mm. is, is... it's so uh, it's so thrilling for a filmmaker to have happen versus you know wake up in the morning and have twenty songs combined together yeah. with uh, you know which we couldn't afford to begin with you know well and what I love about this score and I'm glad you mentioned that uh, you know full orchestra in Budapest because that's one of the first things I noticed it's is the orchestration of this score um, it's a beautiful score. But it's the strings and the orchestration of that that we get to hear. It's very soft. It's it it's has a lilt to it. You hear some gravitas when we need to, but it's the strings and the and the fact that it's an orchestra that also feeds into this Americana idea, this idea of the heart, the heart, the humanity. Um, it's not synthesized. It's not, you know, 20 pop songs, you know, strung together with electric guitars and drums. It's re- it really, it, 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 it's almost like the strings of humanity connecting with each other. And it's really beautiful, Jay. Well, I'm, I'm so flattered that you said that, not just for my own movie, but for, for Dave, because Dave, you know... <laughs> I know you're going to laugh when you hear this, but when I'm interviewing um, composers to do my movies, you know, they, the reason they can afford to do the movie, it's all done on a computer. And I'm going, I don't want that. You know, and they go, well, there's no other way to do it. And if it's, it's not a question of economics. It's a question of dedication to his craft. Mm-hmm. He really genuinely is committed to delivering music the way music was designed, and that is with human beings playing uh, the piano, the, the, the harps, the violins, the mm-hmm. flutes. And I'm so grateful that you noticed that because, I mean, it means everything in the world to me that my movie has synchronicity, but you're right. You know, if, we're, if, we're, if the movie's about uh, the American worker and it's represented by... A background uh, score. Why would it not be organic? Right. Yeah, I, it's it, it's perfect. That's one reason I love Brian Tyler as a composer because Brian is very organic in his compositions, in his orchestrations, in his instrumentation, and for the same reasons. Um, so I I love what Dave has done with this score for you here. You know, one la- you. one last question for you, Jay, before I let you go. Because, of course, of course, I'm already running over time, as always. Uh, <laughs> everybody knows that now. Um, I really want, what did you learn about yourself as a filmmaker and storyteller telling the story of Saving Paradise? Because this is a very special story. I have to say this. Um, 
I made a decision when I got out of the business of making television commercials and TV shows that I was going to spend this illustrious part of my career doing purposeful, meaningful movies. Mm-hmm. And it is, um, it's my toolbox. And when I decided to do this movie and uh, um, implement it, you know, the whole aspect of it is, is feeding to my desire to want to give back. And it's, it's even more pronounced now because of the political nature of, of our country. Mm-hmm. A pro or con, the movie appeals to, I think, uh, anybody that believes in America. And, and I say this in a, in a significant way, you know, and I, it's funny because I wanted to give a little speech at the front of my screening, and you know, my dad uh, was in World War II. You know, what did he fight for? Freedom. And when all these people came back after the war and built factories and, and created jobs, you know, all that stuff, I mean, this factory is 100 years old. Mm-hmm. So when I found myself making this movie and developing a passion to tell the story, it, it's all connected to family and and community. And to me, you know, there's nothing like it, you know. There's nothing like helping, um, um, I think, share a story that fundamentally um, is a story about who we are. Mm-hmm. As American, it's all about human connection, home, hearth, and heart. And I agree. You have done a beautiful job with this one, Jay. I can't wait for the next one. Well, the next one's even going to be more exciting. I'm just going to pitch it right now. It's called Yale. Okay. I'm not going to tell you what it's about, but just remember I told you that because maybe in the next year and a half I'll have it done and we can share again. Uh, this is kind of like another chapter in Saving Paradise. Ooh. Oh, you tease. You are a tease, Jay Silverman. I'm left. Thanks for having me. Oh, Jay, thank you. And I can't wait till we do it again. I appreciate everything you're doing. Just Can I just tell the audience one thing? Of the course. The movie comes out on September 3rd. It's, you can find it on Amazon, iTunes, and all the, the video-on-demand uh, um, uh, portholes. Yeah. I would really appreciate uh, anybody going out and seeing the film and learning for yourself why we made it. And, of course, it's Labor Day weekend, the perfect weekend for this film. Perfect. When Vertical Entertainment picked September 3rd to distribute my movie, I thought to myself, that's very close to my birthday. And then I thought, eh, it's not that. <laughs> Just last week I learned it was Labor Day weekend. <laughs> All I can tell you is I'm very excited about it. And uh, if they want to go to our website, it's jsilvermanproductions.com. And there's beautiful stuff. There's a featurette. I've been on the site. You have a featurette there about the making of with some thoughts from some of the cast, and we see some behind-the-scenes stuff in the pencil factory. Um, so, yeah, it, it's, it's lovely. It is absolutely lovely, Jay. Thank you so much for having me, Debbie, and um, I, I, I hope uh, and other people are as excited about the movie as you are. Thank you. Thank you, Jay, and we'll talk again. All right, be safe. You too. Bye-bye. 
And that was Jay Silverman, director of Saving Paradise. You heard it this Friday, September 3rd. You can find it digitally, VOD. And I think it's playing in some theaters, too. But see it. It's, a, it's really a beautiful film. And it is filled with heart. The Colony. You can see that now. It is in theaters. It is VOD. It is digital. Go for it. Um, so, of course, we are over this week again. Uh, if you missed the whole broadcast today, don't don't forget. You can find the show on all the podcast platforms after, uh, since we are live on Adrenaline Radio. Uh, radio, you know, we start where traditional radio ends. Uh, and the show will be up on my website, BehindTheLensOnline.net, sometime later tonight. And then on all the podcast platforms, Google, iTunes, Apple, Podbean, Stitcher, it'll be everywhere. So, hey, follow us. Follow us on on Twitter, Movie Shark D or BTL Radio Show. Follow us on Facebook, uh, Behind the Lens, BTL Radio Show. We've got a ton of new interview video uh, slideshow interviews out uh, on the YouTube channel, on BehindTheLensOnline.net, and of course, every single BTL radio show episode. So, we're not here next week because it is Labor Day and Pam will not be laboring. I will be home laboring, but Pam will not be laboring. So, we'll see you, hear you, speak to you in two weeks. Until then, I'm Debbie Elias. This is Behind the Lens. Thank <laughs> you.